0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Define. Today, I'm pumped to have our first nominated interviewee. I don't don't think you knew that, Nicole. (laughs) Uh, Surprise. (laughs) Surprise. You're our first nomination. Um, We have a few more coming up, but I was really excited. And by way of introduction, I wanted to read what who nominated Nicole wrote to nominate her. And so thank you, Kara, for nominating Nicole. So this is what she said. My friend Nicole Broberg is an amazing person who has impacted many teenagers for the better. She is the SPED director of East Hollywood High School. She also runs a business called Limitless Transition Services, where she and her wife Annie help students at other schools see their potential and graduate from high school by offering accessible credit recovery and transition services. They have a really great program to help students with disabilities learn job skills and have real-world practice and job skills. They make pickled things and seasonings and sell them at farmer's markets in Salt Lake County. She teaches students to live by Rule 76 and have no excuses and play like a champion, that they need to take control of their own lives and have no excuses for their future. I don't know all of Nicole's story, but I know she has had quite a journey to get to where she is and has had a positive impact on me and many children. And I asked her if she'd be willing on this podcast, and she made sure I followed up with you ASAP. So... (laughs) So this is Nicole. Nicole, could you share a little bit more about yourself? Yes. I, uh, all those things
1: are accurate. (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 we do do all those things and I started out. You just want me to start from the
0: beginning or. (laughs) Yeah, we can, we can dive right into it. If she covered you well enough, we'll just let you dive into your story. Absolutely. Yeah, no, she did. She did a really good job.
1: I started out in, uh, college and high school, uh, wanting to be rich and famous. (laughs) And I didn't really know what that meant or how that meant. I, as I grew and went to therapy and did all those things and figured myself out and really learned more about myself. What I was trying to say was that I wanted to feel valid, you know, and feel like people, respected me and that I was heard. And the more I worked on myself and the more I learned about myself, the more I uh, realized that a lot of people don't or kids don't know how awesome they are and how much potential they have to bring to the earth, you know? And so I started really thinking about like, well, how do I want to do this? I, back when I was still trying to figure out who I was, I, you know, decided I was going to be rich and famous as a uh, stand-up comedian, and like everyone does, <laughs> as I did that, I really wanted to get into writing sitcoms, and I ended up in the movie business, uh, not not as a writer, but as a art department crew. It wasn't enough for me. I didn't feel like I was doing what I was supposed to yet, and. I guess what it really turned into was that I had a message and the message was to love yourself and to realize who you are and what you're meant to do here. That really kind of became my driving force. And I started, I thought, well, I'm a writer. I do. I write jokes. Why can't I write other things? So I started writing children's books and they all had the same theme about self-love and self-esteem had those going and was trying to do something with them, I, I started getting, not feeling healthy in the sense of, I, uh, I had a lot of pain, like a lot of chronic pain. And I kept going from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor. I I finally went to one doctor and they took a bunch of blood samples and they told me that I tested positive for having a basically lupus, two inch stack of papers about all the effects of lupus and how to live with lupus. And it basically like made it kind of feel like from all the papers that I read that I had about six good years left. I was sitting there and I was like, well, if I only have six good years left, what, what do I want to do? Because these books aren't going anywhere and I'm, you know, not doing what I want to be doing. And so I always wanted, I wanted to live in California and I wanted to teach. And so I went down there and I uh, got a job at the YMCA through a friend of mine, uh, working with special needs youth because I kind of figured out who needs my message the most and that, and I kind of felt like it was the the kids that struggle the most need the message the most. You know, I started working, you know, with special needs youth and, at the uh, YMCA in Encinitas, California. And it was the awesomest summer of my life. And then the summer ended and the camps were over and I was like, well, what am I going to do now? I'm still not a teacher. I'm still not doing, I'm not, I'm not getting that message out. And so I ended up coming back to Utah and I was like, well, I guess the only way that I'm ever going to figure out it, that, if I can be a teacher is by applying for a teaching position. So I applied to East Hollywood high and I got, and I got the job. It was the first job I applied for. And I don't know why they gave me the job. I had no experience. I knew what I wanted to do, but I had no idea that I didn't even know. I, I didn't even know what it meant. I had no clue. (laughs) <laughs> what it meant to be, you just you just dived right in. I did. I dived right in. I have been drinking water from a fire hose ever since. And, <laughs> and I've been learning and I've been growing, and I will tell you that I learned that the only way you can't give someone a sense of purpose and you can't give someone a sense of of self-esteem. A sense of self-esteem is something that you have to earn. What I, I I have tried to do is incorporate how to make things manageable for the kids that struggle the hardest and how to teach them that they can actually accomplish those goals and they can get through things. And it's not about lowering the bar and making it easy. It's about having an adult role model that cares about them and being that person that is willing to never give up when everybody else has and to kind of help clear, clear pathways to make it a little bit so
0: that they can see what they're dealing with. Well, that's a big deal. What do you think has helped you? Cause I, anytime I talk to a teacher, I'm blown away. I can't believe the endurance you guys have. How do you kind of make sure you have the endurance necessary not just to make sure you're doing your job well cuz there are a lot of demands just in the job description alone but yeah. how do you make sure you you help you help these kids know that as
1: the years have gone by i will tell you that it's gotten it's gotten more difficult and more difficult and more difficult and i think that part of it is that when you are living Your truth, I guess, um, as I'll call it. (laughs) I think there's a huge difference between living your truth and living your best life. And I don't think you can live your best life without living your truth, but I think a lot of people think that those two things are interchangeable. And I think that when you live your truth, it's not always easy. I think that some days you wake up and you're like, I hate everything about this. And you have to like really dig down and find that anything that you can really
0: <laughs> to keep, yeah. moving, keep moving forward. You just scrape at the bottom of the barrel. Sometimes
1: <laughs> you really, especially this year. I mean, teachers have been put through the ringer this year. You really do like you're really scraping as deep as you can. And it's just that constant reminder that what you're doing means something to someone and even if they don't show it or know it (laughs) it really it really does what what you do makes a difference and you have to be able to know that just because it isn't your best life
0: all the time doesn't mean it's not your truth you mentioned that you you had the lupus you're thinking okay i only have six years left and then you went to california and started doing that stuff was there a point where everything kind of clicked into place? You're like, oh yes, this is, this is the message I'm trying to get out. This is how to do this. Like, was there a point where it clicked or is it still an ongoing process? It's a good question. I, there is, I
1: did leave out a little part that I just realized. And I will tell you that I came. I told you I came back. And right when I came back, because I was, like, I had all this pain, I had been taking a ton of aspirin every day, probably, I don't know how many milligrams, but probably about a 1000 a day of aspirin to for my pain and to keep the inflammation down and everything. I ended up getting an ulcer. And the ulcer hit right on an artery. And I bled out and really quickly.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah. And I was in, um, intensive care for a week while they tried to they kept try they kept thinking that they got to it and they couldn't reach it cuz it was kind of behind kind of hidden they couldn't get to it and I ended up having 12 units of blood and while I was in the hospital they asked me of course like do you have any health issues and I said well I've been told that I have lupus and and everything and they they said oh well that didn't show up in your blood test I said, really? Like, I was kind of in shock, you know, as you would be, if you'd like been thinking you were <laughs> you had six yeah. years left. <laughs> and, um, I, and it really threw me and I left the, like, they finally fixed it. I like, and got to it. They had to, I had bled out and they t- had sent me down for this emergency procedure, but they couldn't Um, sedate me they couldn't give me anything for pain they couldn't numb it and they all they could do is hold me down and do the procedure and they cut like into my leg to like move up an artery that or up a thing that went all the way to this artery to shoot a little spring into it to like stop the bleeding and stop it like I guess they do it for heart like different heart procedures but they had, like, they had to do it with no, I had nothing. No anesthesia, no nothing. And They do that? Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, I guess so, when it's an emergency. Oh. Yeah, yeah I it guess. It, it sucked. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and tell you that that was not my best really? day. I left that. I left, I survived. And I had this weird, like, I don't know, like, survivor guilt of some sort or something. Like, I don't know, like I left that, I left the hospital totally feeling guilty about living and surviving that experience. I don't know why, but (laughs) I just, I, I, it took me like for like a long time to get over it. And in the meantime, you know, while I was healing and like recuperating and everything, that's when I had applied for this, for my job that I'm still at. And I had pretty much written it off because it'd been two months. Like, I don't know, in my head, I thought, well, they would have called me a week ago, or within a week, you know, and they called and I went and I uh, listened to um, what was the song? It was Natasha Bedingfield. Is it unwritten? Yeah, it was unwritten. Well, okay. That was, my, th- that was my, that was my pump up interview song. I went in there blaring that song, went into the interview, had no idea what I was talking about, but I Googled a whole bunch of things about special education, played the song on the way out of the interview and they called and I was like, no way, there's no way. Like, no way. Why would they hire somebody that had absolutely no experience had been in the been a bartender bartender and worked in the movie business for the last fifteen years, like most of their adult life. And now I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be a teacher. <laughs> I'm like, there's no way. And they called me. They asked me to come in and like kind of do like a internship type thing to see if it I'd be a fit. And at the end they hired me and I was dumbfounded. <laughs> <That's
0: awesome.
1: laughs> it kind of taught me that it's kind of like the secret, you know, like that back then that was kind of like the big books that everybody read was the secret. And if you have this intention that this is going to happen, your life is going to be awesome. And you're going to like get everything you want, like as long as you can imagine it, right? What they didn't mention was like, the part of like putting forth the effort in that you can imagine becoming a teacher or doing these great things your entire life. But if you don't apply for the damn job, nothing's going to happen. And for me, like it's, it's biblical faith without works is dead. Like, I think it's the same thing. Like if we can sit around and have faith that something's going to come and pray for it and do all the things. But if we don't put in that, That effort, nothing's gonna happen, you know? And it doesn't even have to be a big, huge amount of effort. I just had to fill out a, or send in a resume, you know? And I think that we sometimes forget that one step of like, I went around for 10 years saying, oh, I'm gonna be a teacher. I'm gonna be a teacher. Not one time until that time did I apply for the job. I think that I had to learn, I had a lot to learn in that 10 years too. I think that sometimes we have to have that patience of like, you have things to learn and you have things to do to get you to a place where you're ready. And, and we think that especially now I see so many kids that think they come out of high school and they think that they need to have all these things. Like they have to be in the perfect relationship, have the perfect job, live alone, do all these things. And it's like, no, you're just starting
0: Like you don't even know who you are yet. So how do you, like we ran your nomination. There's some things that you guys emphasize or help teach. How do you teach that? Oh man. How do you try to teach that stuff?
1: We try to teach adulting, I guess. And we try to like get kids to understand that it's a process and not an event. We have so many kids that, you know, want to have a job but don't have any job skills. And so that's why we set up those companies is to like really give that hands-on experience so that our kids could gain some confidence in that area. So when they did apply for a job, they had something that they could write down on their application that they could, that they would have a food handler's permit, that they would have confidence going into it and not just going in blindly thinking, I have no idea how to do this. And so I think that what really what we try to do is kind of give them just a little peek at what it's going to look like so that they're not so terrified of it that they don't try
0: to get to it. Does that make no. sense? Yeah, it does. I like that a lot. What what led you guys to even want to create limitless transition services. What led to that? I just saw a need for it. Like on the,
1: on the side of credit recovery, there's so many kids that the classroom, the way we teach doesn't work for them. And so many kids that you know are in special education for example and it's not just kids in special education that the classroom doesn't work for them I've had contracts with the state and I've gone to so many schools and I've interviewed kids and they've all said the same thing especially if they're in special education and that's the you know they're embarrassed by it and they don't want to feel stupid and they don't want they hate the fact that they have to go to this bedroom or whatever it is and they want to feel normal and the problem that i really see is the fact that it's not the kids that have special needs or that are less than or or have something wrong with them it's that our system Is broken. It's our system that needs specialized instruction. It's our, it's our system that has taught teachers only to teach in one way and only to do things in one way. And then, but then we make all of the kids feel like they're less than when they can't fit into this one stupid box. And I think that what really led us to that is this is going back to that original wanting kids to feel like help them love themselves and help them have a self and self-confidence and seeing that our system doesn't does the opposite of that. You know, our system makes kids feel like if they don't perform well in school, if they don't pass all this end of level testing, if they don't participate in different sports and do all these things that you're supposed to check off on a checklist and get accepted into the college of your choice, that somehow you're a failure. And that's just not true. There's so many, so many kids that have so many different talents and so many things that don't fit into the way that we do things. And I just wanted kids to be able to come and be able to when they've say failed all of their math and they have absolutely no confidence in that area, be able to have something where they could sit with us and have an adult role model that cares about them that can help kind of hold their hand and walk them through it, so that they do have that self confidence of saying like, "Oh, I thought I was stupid, but this I can do this, I did this, you know, and I wanted." And the goal was to give them that it's not to make them like the highest level math person and the smartest person It's to give them their confidence back because the way our system works, we can shred a kid apart and make them feel like they're so less than, and so not going anywhere. And it, when that happens enough to them, they get that shame, and once they have that shame, they go from "I've made mistakes in math or English or reading or whatever it is to "I am a mistake because I can't do this, and that's not fair to those for to our kids
0: no it's not that's oh that's just heartbreaking you've you've touched on you know, teaching these kids to love themselves again, or get that confidence boost. Was there a point where you had to learn self-love to help (laughs) you kind of be able to do that? Uh, Yes,
1: actually, I did okay in school. I wasn't, I wasn't the valedictorian. I was raised by educators that expected, you know, had high expectations for performance in school. And Always tried my hardest, but I never fit in socially in school. And I was I was kind of an outcast. I I grew up in a small town. I grew up in Logan, Utah. I did not know that I was gay back then, but obviously surprise, here I am. I think I had the kind of blinders on about who I was as a person. And You know, I was just trying so hard to fit into the mold that I was told that I was supposed to fit in. You know, going to church every Sunday, doing all the things that girls do, wanting to date boys, wanting to go on to college, wanting to, you know, all the things. And it never, it just didn't fit for me. And I was ridiculed and bullied all through elementary through high school. You know, I was just an outcast. I remember one time, I think I was a junior, yeah, I was a junior in high school. And I, uh, I've always had a, I, I had TMJ really bad. So I'd grind my teeth all night long. And I had this opportunity or like the oral surgeon, um, you know, that's when you have braces and everything. They uh, wanted to Uh, do surgery for my TMJ. And they go in and they break your jaw and they wire it shut and you can't eat for eight weeks, like solid food. (laughs) And I, in my head, I thought, well, if I, if I do the surgery, I'll lose weight and I can grow my hair out during that time and I'll be more attractive. And then, People will like me more. And like, I had this whole plan in my head to fit in just because of this surgery. And it was so important to me. And what I found out was, you know, I went through the surgery and like, I was still me. I just had lost a bunch of weight. Cause I had to suck everything through a straw for eight weeks. And I think that really kind of stuck with me in thinking that it kind of goes back to the, wherever you go, there you are scenario you, you can run, but you can't hide, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I know. Right. And it took me getting into my adult life and kind of getting some more confidence. And, and, you know, we are, people are mirrors of each other. And when you start to meet people that start to think you're cool for who you are, like all of a sudden you're like, Oh, Hey, this person thinks I'm cool. So college helped me with that. Like all of a sudden I had, I had a wider variety of friends and they thought I was cool. And that, that was the first time in my life that I had experienced that. And then I, you know, kept going down the path and I ended up realizing that I was gay and coming out and that was devastating. It was like one step forward and 12 steps back in my self-esteem. And, and, and because at that point I had just blown apart the, whatever it was, whatever mold it was that I was trying to fit into. And, uh, I, moved to Salt Lake. And that's when I started working in restaurants and learned how to bartend and all those things. And then I made a whole new, new group of friends. And those people were kind of a made up family and supportive and loving and also would drag you down on the other side. But then like they were your kind of misfit family. And that whole experience, like I kept saying, I, I can be more, I can do more. I, I, I'm meant to be more on this, on this earth. And I kept, and I started doing things, going to, um, therapy, different types of therapy. I started out with rapid eye therapy and then I saw a counselor and then I, um, had someone, you know, and I had different kind of mentors that I would get to a certain place. And I felt like Things would plateau and then I'd go on to the next therapist or whatever to get me to the next place. But it was a process of failed relationships and bouncing back and realizing my worth and learning through all these different types of therapies and self-help things that I had done that and really trying to put all those things into place that it started to click. And I'm talking about like, I'm not, I'm talking about the fact that, yeah, I'm way better than I was when I was 20, but it's still a process, you know, like your self-esteem is kind of like working out. You have to keep working on it
0: in order for it to not go flabby, you know, you're a constant, you're a constant work in progress. You can't just stop.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, you don't, you're, you're never going to like, it's, I think it's kind of like being an artist, you know, uh, no artist is ever pleased. And I don't, and I think that, you know, we're the creators of who we are. And when like, we'll get to places where we're like, yeah, that's cool. I like that. That's awesome. And then the next day it's like, mm, not so cool anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, feel that. I feel that deeply,
1: <laughs> you know, and I think, but I think that overall, it's getting to that spot where you do go through that. You get rid of all that shame that you went through. For me, it was being gay for, and trying to fit into that thing and then breaking the whole mold and having so much shame around like, Oh crap. I didn't fit into anything that I had envisioned my entire life, you know? And, and learning to live your truth. And like I said before, like living your truth and like figuring out who you are is different from living your best life. And, and I say that knowing that I think that a lot of times people think, well, living your truth means like I tell the truth about whatever I want to do and I just go out and I just bulldoze over everyone. And it doesn't matter who gets in the way because I'm living my truth. And to me, that's not living your truth. That's living your best life when you don't care about like what, what is going on, but really living your true best life means living your truth and being honest about who you are and what you are here to do and being, but in a way that, yeah, you might disappoint some people for a little bit, but once they see the greatness that you are here to do and the things that you, that your intentions are good and coming from love and not about like just being selfish, that's where, that's where things diverge for me. And, and for me, like when you're able to stand in your truth and be okay with who you are, that's where you get that feel. That's where all of the, all the shame goes
0: away. The vulnerability is still there though. (laughs) I I love that. Get rid of shame. Keep the vulnerability. That's a a hard, that's a hard balance to strike. So yeah. It's like you put a lot of work into figure that part out.
1: And that's the thing too, is I think that people think that it's going to be easy and it's not, it's not an easy process getting rid of all that shame I mean when I look at my students coming to school and failing again can be a traumatic event every single day that they're in school because obviously shame cut like is a traumatic event you know like that's where they come from and if I can help them get through some of that shame and so they can really start to clear things out and start to see what it is that they want to become and what it is that they're capable of becoming. That's what that's what the end goal is.
0: That's awesome. So I've been curious about this ever since I read your nomination. What is Rule 76? <laughs> oh, shoot. Rule 76 is no
1: excuses play like a champion. When I first started teaching, I was a big fan of the wedding crashers and all of a sudden, you know, you're going to all these things and you're learning about all the things that you have to do. Like you have to have rules like class wide expectations and all these things. And so I was like, I'll just get my class rules from the wedding crashers.
0: <laughs> so That's I a great resource. I'm so excited to hear the rest of this. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: so I, you know, watch, watched the movie for the 50 millionth time. And And I was like, well, no excuses, play like a champion. Like that's perfect rule, That like that sums it up. And so I had to watch it again so I could figure out what rule number it was. And, um, and then I created, uh, there's one about only bring attention to yourself in a positive way. I was like, that works. Like, that's awesome. I'm I'm putting that in And, (laughs) and never leave, like never leave a fellow student behind, uh, that would that one fell right into place, and so I basically developed my uh, classroom my classroom w- rules that turned into the school wide expectations at East Hollywood that I just took and put into Limitless um, from the Wedding Crashers. That's fantastic,
0: and <laughs> I, one of my favorite rule origin stories I've ever heard. Just full disclosure, <laughs> I was not prepared, but I was. It was totally worth the. Suspense to figure out what that was.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um I I've heard that they're making a second one, so I'm really excited about that. I'll yeah, going and get some new rules. I know, right? <laughs> well what I, I ended up I don't know, a few years ago. I don't know why. I just got this wild hair and decided because people always ask me, like, well, are there really seventy six rules? And I was like, Well duh. <laughs> of course there are. And so I created seventy six rules. And every once in a while, I'll go through them and edit them again. And, and, I'll, and they're from everything from, obviously, The Wedding Crashers. But then, like, I've taken some from rap songs and some from Shakespeare and some from the Bible and other movie quotes. And they're all just rules for life. Like, number rule number one is to thine own self be true. So I do have all 76. But the rule for schools is that you're only supposed to have, like, up to four or five Class wide expectations.
0: <laughs> Hopefully no one listens to this and knows you have some new sex rules. <laughs> well, yeah. you're listening. Her, yeah. her supervisor. I'm not sure what the rule is. I'm sorry. <laughs> they won't care. <laughs> All right, fair enough. No, it sounds like you're doing great stuff. Oh, I love this. I, I feel like if I talked to you for five hours, I would the whole interview would be, oh, I forgot about this crazy traumatic event too. Let me just throw that in here, so I, I may have to follow up with you on a future episode um but, but thank okay. you for, no, but <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, especially talking to to me. I know we've never talked before, only text a couple times, so I do appreciate it is there Is there anything you wanted to share that you didn't get a chance to earlier in the conversation? I guess the
1: only thing I have is to say that Kara, who nominated me it's crazy. Like I've been thinking about like everything that you said and it's, I feel that same way about her. You know, I, I just, I really am so grateful to know her and to know such an amazing person. And the people that she works with are like three of the, like, they're just amazing women down there and they do awesome things for their students. And I've never, I've just always been so honored to know People that care that much.
0: No, oh, thank you. I know she'll appreciate it. And she, you'll find that she probably has the same hobby as both of us that we talked about before. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. just for the record, I talked to everyone before I push record. So I'm, they're not just thrown into a recording. So FYI. Um, but me, me and Nicole both agreed that crying is a hobby. And she coined that. That was me totally just <laughs> plagiarizing her. But no, I I love it. I I love the support and people just seeing the good in others and trying to shine a light on them. And I love that she nominated you, Nicole. You you set a Kara. You set a very high bar with your nominations. Um, oh wow! Nominations. <laughs> so thank you so much. And I can't wait to see more of you do. I'm going to go follow all your pages now. So don't mind the. Creepy friend requests. I apologize. <laughs> it's all good. Um, it's all good. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. These, these nominations, I want to make a core of the podcast. I've had some amazing guests come on, and I'm glad for the people I've invited. And, and Nicole's our first nomination. We have a couple more coming up in the next few weeks. But honestly, that's the whole point of this podcast is to shine a light on these defining moments and these amazing stories from the people you know. So if you know of anyone that you want to hear from, please let me know. I would love to reach out and interview them and you can nominate them at KayleeSpeaks.com slash podcast. I I'd love to just keep talking to these amazing people like Nicole and I can't wait to see who else I get to talk to in the future. So thanks again, Nicole, for being on. And I, I'm going to have to talk to you again. we will have to do like an anniversary one. because I'm feeling like, I have like 10 more crazy stories in between then to. I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much and everyone have a great day.
1: the more I learned about myself, the more I uh, realized that a lot of people don't, or kids don't know how awesome they are um, and how much potential they have to bring to the earth, you know? And so I started really thinking about like, well, how do I want to do this? And, um, Back when I was still trying to figure out who I was, I...